You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. How's everybody doing? This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. You know, I am so excited to be here at University Presbyterian Church. I'm about to jump out of my skin. (laughs) It is indeed a blessing to be here and looking forward to coming on staff here. I, I already felt like I'm a part of the family but I will be officially a part of the family on January 2nd. So uh, be easy on me until then, okay? (laughs) I want to thank Pastor George for giving me this opportunity uh, to stand before you. Let's give Pastor George a hand for his leadership. Uh, He is uh, a dear friend and... um, he is a, a friend that sticks closer than a, than a brother. He uh, checks on me, and I just really appreciate uh, his leadership as well as his friendship. Amen? Yeah. Well, you know, I, uh, I have a short runway here, so um, I, I have to cut through the small talk <laughs> and get to the, get to the text. Uh, Hebrews 11, uh, verses 1 through 3. And verses 8 through 16. Hebrews 11, verses 1 through 3, and verses 8 through 16. And there you will find these words. If you're looking for it, say, wait up. I guess everybody's, I hear pages turning. Page 977. 977, thank you. Page 977. And there you will find these words. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Indeed, by faith, our ancestors received approval. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. By faith, Abraham, down at verse 8, by faith, Abraham obeyed, and when he was called to set out for a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he set out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he stayed for a time in the land that he had been promised, as in a foreign land, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, he received power of procreation, even though he was too old and said, because he considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one person, as this one, as good as dead, Descendants were born, as many as the stars of heaven and as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. All of these died in faith without having received the promises, but from a distance they saw and greeted them. 
they confess that they were strangers and foreigners on the earth. For people who speak in this way make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land that they had left behind, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Indeed, he has prepared a city for them. And for a few moments, I would like to hang as a title over this text, A God-Pleasing City Dweller. A God-pleasing city dweller. Now, some of you may not like the word city dweller, so we'll, we'll say urbanites. <laughs> uh, city dweller is an old term, but urbanites will work just as well. A few weeks ago, my wife and I had an opportunity to uh, go to New York City. And it's one of my favorite places uh, to visit. I wouldn't want to stay there, but... It is a great place to visit. Whenever I go to New York City, I have to remind myself of not looking like a stranger. In other words, when I'm walking through New York City, I have to remind myself not to look up. They say, once you look up, they will know that you are a stranger. But I can't help it. I'm so mesmerized by the skyscrapers. I'm uh, captivated by the neon lights. Uh, I am just so mesmerized by the people of New York City and uh, their personalities and various attitudes. I, I, I love the culture in New York City. Once I, as I began to walk the streets of New York City, I began to ask myself from a spiritual standpoint, how many of these people know the Lord? Uh, I began to ask myself how many people of faith are in the city of New York? Uh, We took the subway, and as we got on the subway, uh, it was right during rush hour, so we were crammed in there like sardines. And as we uh, took, made our way uh, from one part of town to the other part of town through the subway, uh, it, it amazed me how many people can look right at you and not be looking at you. Uh, but such is the case. I think sometimes as urbanites, as city dwellers, uh, we're so busy about uh, ourselves, we're so busy about getting from one place to the next Uh, that sometimes we just want to stay in our own world. But it was my time in New York that made me think about uh, this passage of Scripture that Pastor George has chosen to uh, talk about who Jesus is, the architect and builder. But here we are in Seattle, which is a great city. Here we are, and God has called us in this city of Seattle to be men and women of faith, to be God-pleasers and not people-pleasers. 
But also we find here in this text, as it, as it meets us in the 21st century here in Seattle, that we find in this text is that there were other city dwellers who lived long before us. As a matter of fact, in this passage of scripture, uh, the writer of Hebrews, we don't know who he is, but he begins an iconium uh, of people who have lived in cities, who have been city dwellers, who have lived by the mantra of faith. And so I believe they have a lot to tell us today. I, I believe they have a lot to share with us about being city dwellers. I believe they have a lot to share with us about being urbanites and about what it means to live a life of faith. Now, as I struggled through this text, I had to call on Oswald Chambers, uh, my utmost for his highest. Uh, as I struggled through this text, I had to call on St. Augustine because they too were city dwellers at one time who lived uh, their life, who lived the life of faith. Now, the writer of Hebrews makes a bold statement he, in which it serves as the nucleus of this chapter, if not the whole book of Hebrews. He says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. Indeed, by faith, our ancestors received approval. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God. So that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. The writer of Hebrews begins to describe faith and how important faith is. He begins to tell us that the triune Godhead served as the architect and builder of the whole universe. And now if God the Father, God the Son can create the whole universe and to this day hold the, the moon in its place and the sun in its place and the stars in their places and none of the, the, the two shall meet. Uh, if God can do all of that and hold the universe in its, in its place and allow the earth to turn on its axis without missing a beat, then certainly he can help handle your life and my life if he can do that. And so when we think about this life of faith, Oswald Chambers uh, did a devotion on faith and he gives us a devotional framework to really help us to understand uh, what faith is and what it looks like he says that faith is antagonistic to common sense in other words when you live a life of faith common sense sometimes is diametrically opposed to living a life of faith faith tells us to love our enemies to bless them to curse us that doesn't make common sense. <laughs> Faith tells us to be more concerned about the other person than we are about ourselves. That doesn't make common sense. And so many times uh, when we live a life of faith, you know that you're living by faith when it's antagonistic to common sense. Oswald Chambers goes on to say that faith must be, must be tried 
before the reality of faith is actual. In other words, many of us have an abstract idea of what faith is. But God is in the business of bringing that which is abstract and theoretical in our head and making it concrete in our lives. Now, we don't always intentionally try to live by faith. And God knows our personalities. He knows who we are. And so he will lead us into circumstances where our faith becomes real. Uh, many times we find ourselves in a situation we know that, uh, that God is with us, but God says, I, I, I'm going to take you through a situation so I can prove myself to you and reveal myself to you. He says that faith always works on a personal line. The whole purpose of God being to see that the ideal faith is made real in his children. You see, God doesn't want us to be phony Christians. He wants us to be real Christians. He wants us to practice what we preach. And I know in, in my own life, I, I, I've been... Uh, God has tested me, and that's one of the reasons I'm here at University Presbyterian Church today. Because God took what I was saying abstractly and made it concrete. You know, here, here I am, a, uh, after 29 years of preaching, being a Baptist, and God has made a Presbyterian out of me. <laughs> I've, I've been known to say that, you know, if we really want to know what heaven looks like, we ought to be able to come to the church. Uh, the church is a little bit of heaven on earth. Uh, John said in Revelation, I saw people from every tribe and every nation of which no man could number. And so if heaven looks like that, if where we're going, there's no black part of heaven, there's no white part of heaven, there's no Asian part of heaven, then the church should reflect that not, not when we get to heaven, but before we get to heaven. And so, as a church and as Christians, God wants us to be intentional and reflecting what heaven looks like. Chambers says that God brings us into circumstances in order to educate our faith. You see, we all have a measure of faith, but faith must continually be educated. Our faith system, our value system, must continually be taught by the Holy Spirit. So that which is abstract becomes concrete in our lives. Now, Chambers puts it this way also. This really arrested my attention. He says, nothing Jesus ever said made common sense. Nothing he ever said made common sense. In other words, many times the disciples were questioning what Jesus meant. One day Jesus says, be, uh, be careful of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they begin to talk among themselves, and, he's, and they say, well, is he mad at us because we don't have any bread? 
Jesus was speaking in the spiritual realm and they were thinking in the physical realm. And so many times uh, when Jesus leads us to do something, sometimes God calls us to do things that does not make sense to our common minds. And so there's this, this tension between revelation sense and common sense. Revelation sense only comes by our relationship with Jesus Christ and he reveals a truth or a reality that we will never come to based on our five senses. In other words, we as Christians have what I call a sixth sense and that is faith. Uh, faith means it, 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 you have to trust what God sees over what you smell, over what you taste, over what you hear, over what you feel or touch. God says, I, I, I want you to trust what I see even though you can't see it. God says, I, I want you to understand that my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. That's what faith is. Faith brings that which is in the invisible world into the visible world. In other words, brothers and sisters, sometimes God leads us to do things and we say, Lord, I can't see that. I can't see it, Lord. But if we continue to walk and obey him, he will make that which is unseen a visible reality in our lives. And so when we think about faith and, and what the writer of Hebrews is doing here, he's, he's showing us how important faith is. But then he begins this iconium of men and women who have lived by faith. And he goes on to say, which we didn't, we didn't talk about verse 6, but he goes on to say that all of these men and women, uh, they live by faith in such a way that they please God. He says, without faith, it is impossible to please God, and he who comes to God must, be, must understand that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So the question comes today, as city dwellers, as urbanites, how do we know when we're living by faith? I'm glad you asked that question. How do we know when we're living by faith? Well, the writer of Hebrews points out the life of Abraham. He talks about, he talks about all, of, all of the great people of faith, but he spends some concentrated time on the father of faith, Abraham. Abraham has something to teach us here when it comes to being a city dweller and being an urbanite of living by faith. Look at what it says here in, in verse 8. He says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to set out for a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he set out not knowing where he was going. And when we look at Abraham, God leads him away from his family and tells him to go somewhere and he doesn't know, know where he's going. Can you imagine the conversation that Abraham had with his father and his mother? Where are you going, son? I don't know yet. Can you imagine 
uh, what was going on in their minds that Abraham began to pack and began to leave and go to a place where God was telling him to go. Sometimes God leads us and squeezes us out of our comfort zone. Sometimes we get too comfortable where we are and God has a way of moving us. But we know that we are living by faith. And this is, this is my first point. We know that we're living by faith when we are eager to obey. Uh, we, we've got to move from saying, but Lord, to yes, Lord. Some of us are at that but Lord position. We, God is leading us to go somewhere. He said something to our spirit. He's leading us to start a business. He's leading us to get involved in ministry. And we said, but Lord... I need some more time. But Lord, I I got too much on my plate right now. And God is leading us from but Lord to yes, Lord. You see, Abraham, when God told Abraham to go, there was no but Lord. He just got up and went. Every time God told Abraham to do some sacrifice, your son Isaac, he didn't say but Lord. He said, yes, Lord. So where are you today? God is trying to get you to the point to say yes to his will, yes to his way. God wants you to reach your full potential in Jesus Christ, but you've got to stop saying and using all kinds of excuses and keep saying, but Lord, and begin to say, yes, Lord. As the song said, yes and amen. Not only that, we, we know that we are living by faith when we are ready to sacrifice. When we're ready to sacrifice our time, our me time and family time to God time. You see, when we begin to make God a priority, when we begin to spend time with God, uh, the me time will happen. When we begin to make God a priority and spend time with him, the family time will be enriched. We've got to spend time with God in order for life to make sense. I think it was uh, Charles Spurgeon who said it, it's, it's better to look into the face of God before you ever look into the face of man. And what Spurgeon was saying is that when you get up in the morning, before you take a look at your children, before you take a look at your wife, before you take a look at your husband, look into to the face of God first. Because it's looking into God's face that will prepare us to look into anyone else's face. Because you don't know what challenges will, you will have faced throughout the, throughout the day. But if you're spending time with God, he will prepare you for the day ahead. Amen? Amen. Also, we know that we are living by faith when we leave the results to God. We leave the results to him. In other words, don't try to help God out. Don't try to make things happen. Sometimes you just have to wait on God. You have to wait to God, orchestrate things, and begin to move some things around. And God can make it happen in his own time and through his own will. That's what Abraham did. Abraham spent time with God. Abraham left the results to God. And you know that he spent time with God because God said to Abraham one day, when he said, 
to God the Father, talk to God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And he said, should we withhold from Abraham what we are about to do in Sodom and Gomorrah? But he said, should I withhold from my friend, Abraham? And you can't, you can't call somebody a friend if you hadn't spent any time with them. And that, that's the prerequisite for being a friend. You have to spend time with them. And so God says that I've got to tell Abraham. And so three men come to Abraham in Genesis and they begin to talk with Abraham and, and they were angels and they begin to share with Abraham what they were getting ready to do in Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham began to ask the question, Lord, if there are 50 righteous people living in Sodom and Gomorrah, will you spare the city? Being the friend that God is, he said, yes, Abraham, I would definitely do that. Abraham started thinking because his nephew Lot lived in Sodom and Gomorrah. And he said, I don't know how many servants uh, Lot has. I don't know how many children he has at this point. So he asked the question, well, Lord, if there are 40 people, righteous people living in Sodom and Gomorrah, would you spare the city? Being the friend that God is, he says, sure, I think I, I, I would spare the city. Abraham kept thinking, I, well, I don't know if Lot has 40 servants. I don't know whether how many children he has. So he, go, he keeps going down. He said, well, Lord, if there are 10 righteous people in the city. Now, I don't know, know about you, but I would have gotten very impatient at that time if I was God. <laughs> and God says to him, I would spare the city. But it, it describes the friendship that Abraham and God had with one another. But it also describes the fact that Abraham left the results to God. You see, we've, we've got to move from being control freaks to letting go and letting God. Sometimes we want to control the circumstances. We want to control our children. We want to control our wife, our husbands. We want to control the situation so that we can get the desired outcome that we want. But when you are a child of God, when you are a Christian who is walking uh, by faith, then you, you got to turn over the, the remote control to God. You got to allow God to work that situation out. So I, I just want to encourage you today to let go and let God. You, you're right in a situation right now where you're trying to control God. You're trying to control somebody. And God is saying, let go and I will, let, I will make this thing happen. It may not be in your timing, but it will all work out in God's timing. Abraham shows us what it looks like to live by faith. Abraham helps us to understand, brothers and sisters, that uh, what it looks like to be a city dweller, an urbanite, and living by faith in the city. Because here, here Abraham is, as he moves from city to city, uh, Abraham does not build a house. He's in a tent because he knows that God is taking him somewhere. In other words, where Abraham is located, his geographical location, he said, this, this is not where God is going to keep me. He's moving me somewhere. He's moving me to a destination. But as I thought about Abraham, I thought about, I began to call on 
St. Augustine, and St. Augustine began to help me to understand uh, what Abraham was thinking, what was going on in his mind. Uh, look at what, uh, what St. Augustine says in his magnum opus of a book called The City of God. He says, though there are very many nations all over the earth, there are no more than two kinds of human society, which we may justly call two cities. One consisting of those who live according to man, the other of those who live according to God. The city of man belongs belong to belong the enemy of God, so inflamed with hatred against the city of God. He goes on to say that two cities have been formed by two loves, the earthly by the love of self and the heavenly by the love of God. St. Augustine says there are two cities. There's the city of man and there's the city of God. The city of God is composed of God-pleasers. The city of man is composed of people-pleasers. And I, I like the way Pastor George puts it in as he talks about what God is doing in terms of being an architect and builder, that God is building a city within a city. In other words, when God builds a city, he, he doesn't build buildings, he builds people. And what that entails, brothers and sisters, everyone, everyone around you, including yourself, all of us are under construction. All of us are uniquely designed. All of us are a work in progress. God is building you, shaping you, chiseling you, and carving you into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And the work will not be completed until Jesus comes back. But we know that God is building a city right in the city of Seattle. And that's what the church really is. The church is a little bit of heaven on earth. God is building a city of God pleasers. You see, we have to understand in this 21st century that we are citizens of two places. And this is what Abraham teaches us. That first of all, we are uh, citizens of the city of God. Secondly, we are citizens of the city of man. But our citizenship, our heavenly citizenship, should overrule our earthly citizenship. In other words, brothers and sisters, we get our cues from God and not from man. I think that's what Peter and John had in mind when they were brought before the Sanhedrin Council and they were arrested for doing a great work. And Peter and the disciples said, should we obey man? rather than God, they had the conviction that they were citizens of the city of God first before they were citizens of the city of man. So I want to encourage you today that as you live as a city dweller, as you live as an urbanite, to seek to please God. Because whenever we get caught up into the trap of being People pleasers. People are fickle. They are moody. And what they like today, they will not like tomorrow. 
They may change their mind, but God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. When we all wrap it up and talk about, and we talk about faith, reminded of the story of a small boy in England. He was asked by a scientific team to be lowered down the side of a cliff to recover some important specimens. Though the scientists offered to pay him greatly, the boy said no. They tried to persuade him further and he consented finally. But he said there's only on one condition, that his father would be the one to hold the ropes by which he would be lowered. When I think about that story, that little boy, it reminds me of uh, us, of our relationship to our Heavenly Father. That we can't trust anyone else to hold the rope of salvation for our lives. We can't trust anyone to hold the, the rope of assurance for our lives. We can't trust any man or any woman to hold the rope of assurance for our lives. The only one that can hold the rope surely and steadfastly is Jesus Christ. The only one that can hold the rope surely and steadfastly is God the Father. And so I, I want to encourage you today, if you got somebody else holding the rope, turn the rope over to Jesus. Because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Yes, Jesus is an architect. He is a builder. We're under construction. And we've got to be patient with one another in this construction process. Because we're all a work in progress. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for being the architect and builder of our lives. We thank you, Father, for the heavenly citizenship that we have the privilege of having through Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for your servant Abraham, but most importantly, we thank you for your servant Jesus Christ. We thank you for the work that he has done and is doing in our lives. For we're reminded of the words of Paul that he who has begun a good work in us will complete it until the day of redemption. And we rejoice in that fact. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.